You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 5, Boss BBS. Hello, and welcome to episode number 5 of You Don't Know Flat. Uh, it's been a while since I've done a new episode. Uh, Several reasons for that. Uh, most of them are things uh, you probably wouldn't care about. Um, the server moved, uh, as you all know. Uh, those of you that have been following, uh, there is no more tech.robohara.com. Everything has moved to robohara.com. Uh, while I was in the middle of that, my server got hacked, uh, which was a wonderful experience. And uh, that um, probably... Uh, that story doesn't fit the scope of the podcast, but, uh, suffice it to say that that was a, uh, lovely experience. Uh, so I got to deal with that. And, um, since the last episode, uh, the family and I, we went on vacation. Uh, so we were out of the house for a little over a week. And, uh, while we were gone, the air conditioner broke in our house. And so we've had people fixing the air conditioner and so on and so forth. There's a entire list of, uh, Excuses I could give about uh, where I've been, but the important thing is that uh, I'm here now, and you're here, and so we're going to get things back on track with episode 5. This episode is um, about Boss BBS, which was a um, bulletin board system I used to call it back in the Commodore 64 days, and it's a uh, a fun little story, and it has a uh, updated ending, something that's recently happened over the last two or three days, so... Um, since it's a, uh, an update to one of my old stories, I thought I'd go ahead and uh, kick things back off with the story of Boss BBS. I first got a Commodore 64 back in the summer or early fall of 1985. Uh, I... Our neighbor across the street had a Commodore 64. I'm pretty sure that's the first Commodore 64 I ever saw. Uh, they had Donkey Kong, the cartridge. And as a basis of comparison, I had Donkey Kong on the Atari 2600, which, if you've ever seen that, is uh, really a horrible port of the game. And the Commodore 64 version is not that bad, especially, uh, you know, to kids. Uh, I was 12 years old at the time, and uh, it was a pretty impressive port. So... I think uh, Donkey Kong is uh, what sold me on the on the Commodore 64. Now, before I had a Commodore, uh, my dad had an Apple II computer, the Franklin Ace uh, that I talked about. And before that, we had the TRS-80. And so uh, growing up with those computers, I was uh, brought in, I guess you could say, to... Um, I guess I grew up around uh, what we called the wares... Uh, wares scene uh, and wares trading, which was um, uh, wares was obviously slang for software, and uh, but it implied illegal copies. So uh, wares were copies of games, and uh, back then, 
there was uh, it, it, the internet has changed uh, the way wares are traded today. In fact, um, the way that people trade wares today is almost uh, an opposite of the way things worked uh, back then. Uh, in the in the BBS days, there was a pretty strong emphasis on trading. Um, on you know on the internet now, you're not really out anything. I mean, I guess theoretically you could say bandwidth, but bandwidth is uh, uh, not really. It's so bountiful, I guess you could say, that it doesn't really uh, hurt you if someone downloads something and they don't upload anything. But back then, uh, software was about trading, and so I had uh, two good friends of mine, Andy and Jeff. And both of them had Commodore 64s before I did. And so even before I had a Commodore, I started trading software. I had uh, got copies of Andy's games, and then I would go to Jeff's house, and I would trade him those games uh, for his games. And then I would take his games back and go back and trade them back with Andy for more games. And so uh, even though I'm trading games between these two people, I've kind of positioned myself as a middleman. So I'm getting copies of both of their games, you know, so I, I started building a software collection even before I had a Commodore. Uh, I met Jeff at the beginning of seventh grade, which is the, the summer of 85. And I didn't get my Commodore for a couple months past that. But anyway, trading software back then really took place, uh, in two different ways. It took place over the phone and, uh, it took place in person. And actually there, there were, um, there were other things like like I remember uh, trading games with a few people uh, through the mail and you know a few other things. But basically, you could either um, you know get with somebody in person and copy discs back and forth, or you could trade over the phone. Now, in um, 1985, almost everybody I knew had 300 baud modems. Uh, there, you know, there may have been a few people that had 1,200 uh, in my circle, but for the most part, uh, we all had 300 baud, and the main reason was because of price. I remember my first 300 baud modem, which I got uh, right around when I got my Commodore, maybe maybe that fall, uh, was it cost about $75 for a 300 baud, and a 1200 baud modem was a little over $200. So, you know, just for the ability to be able to connect to other people, or you know, and and being that young, uh, most of us had 300 baud modems. Now, trading games now. A fact that I love is uh, Commodore diskettes. A Commodore disk holds uh, 664 blocks, but when you convert that over to K, uh, a Commodore disk converts to about, I believe it's about 180K. Now, to co- to upload, now I think about 180K in today's um like on the internet, I mean, there are lots of people who have signatures that are larger than 180K. Um, and 300 baud to transfer 180K or a full disk took several hours. Um, so trading over the phone lines at 300 baud was painfully slow. Uh, you you know, everybody who traded software back then has stories of uh, trading you know, starting an upload and then going to bed or starting, I remember starting uploads or, or downloads, uh, on the way to school. One of my favorite tricks was I would start, you know, something downloading on the way to school. Uh, this was later. And then, um, you know, during lunch, I would run home and flip the disc over and start something else downloading and go back to school. So, um, but 300 baud trading was really slow. So 
the uh, if you could meet with somebody in person, whether it was at school or meeting with them after school or whatever, you could trade discs uh, and get a lot of software in a short amount of time. Um, but you know, being twelve, thirteen years old at the time, it was difficult to do that. It was easy if you set up trades with uh, uh, schoolmates and you could go visit them after school or whatever. But um, but a lot of times you would meet these people on BBSs or whatever, and they would live on the other side of town. And then, uh, you know, getting your parents to drive you over there or their parents or whatever became a logistical problem. So, uh, so anyway, you know, I get my 300 baud modem and I start trading, uh, doing the same thing I had done between Jeff and Andy, but just on a larger scale. And I start doing it with BBSs. Um, so I get these lists of BBSs. And, you know, BBSs that have wares and I start calling them and I, I specifically sought out BBSs that were in different social circles. Uh, so I would find like, you know, two different boards that didn't have any common users and, you know, using that, those, uh, early programs that I got from Jeff and Andy, I would call, you know, BBS number one and upload something, uh, from Jeff and Andy's collection and download a new game, and then I would call BBS number two and upload what I had got from BBS number one, but download something from BBS number two and then send that back to BBS number one, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then multiply this by probably 30 BBSs. Uh, so it was almost like trading software um, was a means to itself. Uh, in other words, when I first started trading software uh, and trading wares, I wanted to get games because I wanted to play these games, you know. Uh, but as time went on, and and this was, you know, ultimately over a series of years, uh, almost almost ten years, well longer if you if you go into um, uh, into the PC days. But the at first, I traded software to get games so I could play games, but eventually it, what it evolved into is I traded software just to build a software collection. So, like I said, the actual, um, I guess you could say that the game to me became the trading of games. Uh, you know, building a collection of software was more important to me than actually playing the games at a certain point. So... Uh, like I said, in the early days, I spent a lot of time actually playing the games, but, uh, you know, uh, in, in the BBS days, you know, back in the Commodore, the Apple and stuff, uh, there, there was no such thing as, and even in the DOS days, there was no, uh, multitasking. So when you were uploading a game or downloading a game, uh, you know, your computer was, was dedicated to that. And like I said, we're talking, you know, hours at a time, sometimes trading these full disc games. So you did have to kind of, you know, the, the trading part, if you were trying to stay active and getting the latest software and trading between these people, then you didn't necessarily uh, have a lot of time to play all these games. So anyway, uh, you know, so anyway, I, I, um, I started calling all these different BBSs and one of the BBSs I ran across was called the boss BBS. And the sysop was a guy named boss uh, or the boss. And, um, a lot of BBSs on the, on the, uh, Commodore, nobody had, uh, hard drives back then. I mean, I, they did, but I didn't know anybody that had a hard drive. Hard drives were really expensive. 
uh, I know I'm I'm kind of getting sidetracked here, but I I actually did know people uh, that had a 20 meg hard drive for the Commodore, and I think those retail they started at around um, about eight hundred dollars. So I didn't know anybody that had a, a hard drive for many many years, um, but you could tell the people that were their BBSs were set up for file transfers because they would have multiple disk drives, and and um, the boss's BBS actually had three disk drives. Uh, the first one was, you know, the system that everything ran off of that drive. And then there was a second drive that was just full of programs you could download. And the third drive was full. Uh, it was just an empty disk where you could upload files. And so um, I did, you know, what I had done at, at several other BBSs. I would call uh, the boss's BBS and, um, you know, upload. I uploaded as much as I could uh, and downloaded from him. And um, uh, the boss had, had pretty good games you know he had a pretty good collection of software and so um you know i i guess uh at some point i catch the boss's attention you know he sees that i'm you know really good uploading and stuff and um so he asked me if i want to come to his house and trade software in person now one funny thing is uh you know we got um our trs80 uh gosh when i was like you know, six years old, seven years old, maybe. Um, but, uh, so I grew up behind a keyboard and, uh, I, I've always, um, uh, been a fairly literate guy. And so, uh, when you combine those things, my typing skill and, uh, my, you know, early vocabulary and stuff, I fooled a lot of people with my age. A lot of people online thought that I was much older than I really was. Uh, and so, you know, when I would, these people would set up trades with me, like, Hey, uh, uh, you know, do you want to come over and trade software? And I would say, yeah, that'd be fine. You know, uh, and we would set up a time and they had no idea that I was so young. In fact, um, most of them had no idea that I couldn't drive and they were uh, surprised to see, you know, uh, my parents pull up and to see me hop out of the car and, and them to drop me off. And, and I would have to, uh, set a time for them to come back, you know, and, <laughs> and, um, and pick me up. So uh, then that's what happened with the boss. He, uh, the boss invite, invited me over to um, trade software and I took my big boxes of discs and went over and his wife was a, a German lady and she was really nice. In fact, I remember uh, the first time I came over, she had baked a big thing of cookies and <laughs> I can remember the, the smell of these chocolate chip cookies as I went in and, and we played games and copied games and stuff and, and we, uh, we hit it off pretty well at, the boss was much older than I was at the time. I I was probably uh, 12. I was still 12 years old, I guess, the first time I visited the boss. And the boss was uh, in his uh, late 20s or maybe 30 years old. So, uh, you know, in, in the real world, a 30-year-old is not going to hang out, you know, with a 12-year-old. But back in the computer, you know, early BBS days and stuff, it really wasn't that uncommon. I mean, that's a pretty pretty wide range, but, um, you know, adults traded games with kids. Really, everybody was just interested, uh, in the software, you know, so, uh, the age discrepancy didn't really matter that much, but, uh, so anyway, the boss and I, we, you know, trade software and he sees that, uh, that I have this, I'm, you know, building, uh, a pretty large software library and I'm building a reputation as being a guy who, um, you know, gets new programs and is a good trader and stuff. And so we, we kind of built this relationship. He gives me access on his, uh, on his BBS and, um, uh, 
you know, I keep him supplied with software. And, and I went over to his house two or three times that I can remember. And uh, one of the last times I went over there, the boss said that he had come up with an extra uh, 1200 baud modem. And, you know, like I said, I was still at uh, 300 baud. So 1200 baud is obviously four times faster. And he said, uh, you know, if I wanted to keep uploading software with him, uh, you know, keep trading with him or whatever that I should upgrade. And uh, it, the number sticks with me, but I think at the time that you could buy a 1200 baud modem, the retail was about $169 and he offered me this modem for 75 and, uh, it was right before Christmas. And so I'd begged my parents, uh, you know, for early Christmas present and, uh, my dad really understood, um, not that my mom, you know, wouldn't, uh, have helped me out on something like that, but my dad being a computer guy, I'm sure he understood, you know, the need for, uh, the need for hardware, <laughs> the need for upgrades. So, um, so my parents hooked me up and, um, you know, I, I bought this 1200 baud modem. So, you know, at that point, um, I guess I should say, I, I should throw this in, uh, that when, when Jeff and Andy, uh, first started me off with my Commodore, you know, software collection. I kind of made a deal to them, uh, but it was more of a promise to myself in that anybody that helped me, uh, helped me along uh, my path, I guess you would say, or whatever, helped me, you know, building my collection, especially in the early days, that I would always take care of those people. I remember telling Jeff that he would never have to go out and look for software that I would always, you know, as uh, anything that I had, he could always have, you know, I mean, Jeff was a a personal friend of mine too, but it was just kind of the idea that, you know, these are the people that helped me get started. And boss was one of the people that helped me get started. Uh, And so I kind of took that um, attitude with him and, and soon, you know, I had really bypassed um, what boss's BBS uh, had to offer. Uh, Boss's BBS was a BBS with wares, but it was not a wares BBS. Uh, the difference being, you know, Boss's BBS had uh, message areas where people talked, and it had online games and little things like that. You know, so it wasn't just about training software. Where uh, after a while, you know, especially once I went to um, twelve hundred baud. I started gravitating away from BBSs like that, and I started moving towards BBSs that were just dedicated to trading software. Those were boards that typically, um, typically had you know bigger storage areas, like maybe uh, bigger drives and things like that. So, uh, um, so even though I I started you know bypassing uh, the limitations of Boss BBS or whatever. Uh, I always kept him hooked up. Anytime I got new games, I would always go uh, upload things to Boss BBS, even though, uh, you know, I wasn't really getting anything back from his board at this point. Now, one of the last times I saw uh, the boss, he showed me a spiral notebook that he had that was filled with um, these numbers, and he called them codes. And I didn't really know what they were Um, and that whole scene was kind of new to me. Um, but what they were, were calling card codes, uh, or just called codes, um, in, you know, BBS slang. Sometimes it was spelled a codes with a Z on the end so that you would know, but basically what these were, were stolen, uh, calling card codes. They were access codes to, uh, PBXs or, um, other 
you know, MCI calling card codes, but they were uh, essentially what they were were stolen codes uh, that you could call long distance with. Now, um, part of the whole BBS wares scene, if you will, is that every scene ultimately would become stagnant. There were only so many people trading software, and ultimately, you know, eventually everybody would have what everybody else had. So, to get new software into the scene, you had to call long distance and call. Um, Especially if, you know, like I uh, lived in Oklahoma, uh, if you wanted new software, you were going to have to call one of the coasts. Uh, the BBS is in California, the BBS is in New York, the BBS is in Florida. Those were the places that were getting uh, new software, and Oklahoma was not a place that was getting new software. So, um, you know, if you wanted new stuff, you had to call long distance. And so I remember the boss showing me this, and um, at that time, Calling long distance wasn't really uh, uh, a big deal f- for me. I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed to call long distance, and I there were enough other people doing it that that I didn't, you know, need to do it or whatever. Um, I'm not even sure why I saw that, or you know, I don't don't remember him like sitting down and explaining it to me. But um, it must have been something where I saw it and and I knew enough about what was going on to know what it was. Um, but uh. So anyway, uh, you know, we go forward. If, uh, actually, probably, um, I think we jump forward a couple of years. You know, I mean, by this point, I've been calling BBSs, uh, Commodore BBSs, for a couple of years now. And, and um, you know, like I said, I've, I've kind of moved up and away from Boss's BBS. But I always, uh, you know, I, I still kept him connected. And um, uh, one day, I come home from school, and I call Boss's BBS, and it doesn't answer. And this doesn't really raise any alarms to me at that point um you know bbs's were you know these computers that i mean they ran on computers that didn't multitask and you you know you had to have a modem and commodores were you know kind of um uh you know they overheated fairly easily and uh you know there could be any number of reasons why bbs wouldn't answer but you know, as the night goes on, the BBS is still not answering, not answering. And then on the 10 o'clock news, uh, I hear uh, the boss's real name, which was uh, Bruce, broadcast on the news, uh, and they happen to mention that uh, Bruce had been arrested. And let me tell you what, uh, if you want to talk about a 14-year-old kid at this point uh, basically crapping his pants, uh, this is a problem. <laughs> uh because you know at this I mean first of all uh BBSs most BBSs had a um validation tool where uh whenever you called you had to give your phone number and then either the the sysop would either call you back voice to validate you to you know to find out you are who you say you are or um or it would actually call your your computer back, and then you could answer. You know, uh, uh, your computer would answer. But it, you know, so so most BBSs had your real phone number and usually your real name. You know? So uh, the first thing I'm thinking is, oh crap, I'm going to jail. Uh, you know, the uh, police are going to see all these all the you know programs that I've uploaded over the years, and that I'm going to jail big time. Now, um. Most of uh, any of you who know me know that I am a pack rat. And the next day, uh, there was an article uh, about um, 
the boss being arrested in the newspaper, and I still have that newspaper article. And uh, I'm just going to read that article to you here. I'm going to, for uh, respect of uh, the boss, I'm going to edit out uh, he and his wife's real names. But uh, other than that, this is the uh, the article that ran uh, in the uh, Daily Oklahoman. An Oklahoma City couple are computer hackers who use their home computer to illegally obtain information from a long-distance telephone company, prosecutors alleged Thursday. Uh, the boss, has his name, and his wife were charged in Oklahoma County District Court with a felony count of conspiring to violate the state's computer crime law and a felony count of violating the law. The two who work at a bakery face up to 20 years in prison and $105,000 in fines on the two counts, a prosecutor said. The two are accused of using their home computer and a telephone to get into U.S. Sprint's credit card computer network, then search for authorization codes, nine-digit numbers used by customers to charge long-distance calls. U.S. Sprint reported it detected use of the personal computer August 7th and was able to trace the call Monday. The computer placed 351 calls between 12.29 p.m. and 4.51 p.m. Monday, as often as once every 27 seconds, in its systematic search for codes, authorities said. Assistant District Attorney Brad Miller said, Some computer hackers are known to sell legally obtained or illegally obtained codes. At least 100 codes were found Wednesday in a search of the, of, uh, the boss's home. And then it has uh, his home at. Uh, so... This is really, really bad. Um, it's bad for the boss, obviously. Um, it's bad for anyone who's a member of the boss BBS. Uh, and it's bad for the scene as a whole, you know, because um, there are a lot of people that are that are doing this. And, um, you know, for at least a month after uh, the boss got busted, uh, I hid my discs. I, you know, all my games, I hid them under my bed. And uh, I'm sure that would have done me a lot of good, you know, if the FBI had come and kicked in my front door, you know. Um, and every time the phone rang, you know, you'd get that, that pit in, the, in you know, your stomach like you're in trouble at school. And, uh, uh, you know, very fortunately for me, uh, nothing ever came of that whole uh, experience. There were... Um, a few phone calls made that made me a little nervous, um, but you know, as far as I can tell, you know, the FBI never uh, never showed up at my door, uh, which was a good thing for me. And you know, being fourteen, I'm not sure what would have happened to me anyway. But um, ultimately, they weren't. It appears they weren't interested in the software thing at that point. And and you got to remember, uh, the Commodore, even you know, more so then than now, was not really seen as a uh, home computer. I know people like to think of it as, uh, you know, um, that it was an important computer or whatever, but to the majority of people, uh, it was a, you know, game playing system that also happened to have a disc drive. It, you know, nobody had a Commodore at their place of business <laughs> that I ever heard of, you know, everybody had, um, uh, apples and then, you know, soon they, everything switched to IBM. So, you know, there weren't a lot of, uh, people using Commodores at work. So, so anyway, um, you know, uh, the years go by and of course I'm, uh, a Commodore user for several more years and, and, um, you know, eventually I moved to the PC and I called BBSs and stuff and that's a lot of that, you know, it's all covered in, um, 
in Commodore. Um, but, uh, I, you know, basically I never hear from, uh, I never hear from the boss again, which is, uh, you know, there's always that thing in the back of your head, like, well, you know, you know what, you always wonder what happened. And, um, about, um, 1998 or so, I got an email from, uh, the boss and it was a really short email and it just basically said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, blah, blah, blah. You sound familiar. And I wanted to see, you know, how you're doing. And, um, I never answered it. I never answered his email. And, um, it's something I've regretted for a long time, but, um, you know, in 1998, uh, I was still, uh, doing some questionable computer related activities. <laughs> That's a vague enough way to say it, but, uh, um, and you know, I was doing things on the computer and doing enough things that I was, um, I was paranoid enough of, uh, you know, people, that weren't in my direct circle knowing what I was doing. And, uh, for somebody to come out of the blue that I hadn't talked to in almost, you know, 10 years. And the last time I talked to them that, uh, they had been arrested. This was not somebody that I was going to talk to. And, um, so, you know, I was, it was probably, I mean, it was, uh, like I said, I regret it, uh, that I never, you know, that I didn't answer his email. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we, let's fast forward. And one of the reasons why this podcast is a little bit late is because, um, as I started writing the outline for this, I, um, I wanted to see if I could find the boss again. And I had tried before I published Commodore, I tried finding a boss and I searched for his real name and he has a, um, a fairly unique, uh, German last name, especially, uh, in this part of the country, you know, so, um, I assume it's German. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an unusual last name. And so, and the, the, the funny thing is, is that I also know his brother's name because his brother also ran a BBS. So, uh, I had searched for these and all I could find was this one article about how they, um, uh, were pallbearers at a funeral. Um, but I, I couldn't find, you know, any contact information for either one of these guys. And, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure that, that he would, you know, a remember me or B want to talk to me. I mean, one thing I have, I've found, and it's really interesting is that when I find these old people that, you know, used to call BBSs, the younger they are, um, the more they want to talk to me and the more they remember, uh, the people that were my age that were, you know, teenagers, young teens or whatever, uh, they, you know, they remember all these details and they want to talk and they want to find out, um, you know what happened, but the guys that were older, um, uh, and the boss being one and, um, Klaatu is a, a big example for me because Klaatu was half of, um, the okay crackers with me, uh, a Commodore cracking group that we ran for, for several years. Um, and when I finally tracked down Klaatu, basically he said he remembered very little from that time. Uh, and, um, you know, most of the people I mentioned or stories I told, he had no recollection of. And it it just struck me as really weird because, uh, you know, for me, it was such a big part of my, uh, childhood, really my teen years, you know, this was, um, this was big stuff for me. And so, um, it, it just really 
shocked me, I guess, that he that it wasn't as important to him as it was to me. And and I got the same impression. Uh, well, you, you know, I I was afraid of the same thing with the boss. Was that um, that you know maybe he wouldn't remember me or maybe he wouldn't um, you know remember those things. So anyway, uh, but I looked for him before I published Commodore. And I wasn't able to find him, but uh, as I was finishing up this uh, the draft for this podcast, I I looked for him again, and I was able to track him down. Um, I found a uh, a a family a genealogy type page, uh, and I saw that that he's been remarried, and and that gave me some different names to search on, and uh, eventually I found him on MySpace. Uh, and, and I love when old BBS people and old computer people, you know, show up on MySpace cause I like the people, you know, have stuck, uh, with the hobby, you know, over the years. Um, so anyway, I, um, I emailed the boss and, um, just kind of, you know, asked what happened and how things have gone and how his, his life has gone since that. And, um, you know, it's really unfortunate what happened to him because, you know, um, it, you know, if you think about like the movie war games where, you know, everybody was, was, uh, I mean, it's a goofy example, but if you think about, you know, how he was just, um, how David Lightman was just dialing in and he just wanted to play games and then, you know, he almost starts world war three. And, uh, obviously this isn't, uh, you can't compare it on that scale, but you know, we were all, um, you know, trading games. I mean, that, that's all they were was, was games on these little computers, you know, and, and, and of course, and things escalated, you know, like, uh, you know, well, this person might be calling long distance or this person might be, you know, I knew, uh, I, and I never, I never did this, but, um, uh, I'm not being sarcastic either. I'm being serious. I never did this, but, um, I know people that had stolen credit cards and would actually, you know, card hardware or whatever to, to increase their BBS or, so there were all these things that, I mean, they're, I mean, that's credit card fraud is pretty bad, but you know, as far as calling long distance, uh, you know, and, and using these codes, eh, I mean, it's bad, but you know, it's hard to see ruining somebody's life over, you know, and, and from the emails that I got from the boss, that kind of sounds like that's what happened. I mean, um, he has a felony conviction now for computer crime, uh, which in 1987 is bad, but today it's worse. Um, you know, in 1987, there are still lots of places you could get a job that may or may not, you know, have computers in the office, but, um, you know, try getting a job today with a place, you know, and they do a background check and and you have a felony conviction for computer crime it's pretty tough to get a job and it did not surprise me at all to learn that um, the boss has a, a job that is completely uh, outside the computer industry and has very little to do with them um, computers, you know? So, uh, you know, it's a case of, um, it's hard to see that the, the punishment fit the crime in that deal. And, and, um, like I said, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make light of, um, of the crime itself. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's serious, but, uh, it's, it's hard to see how, um, you know, make in finding a way to make long distance calls for free in order to, you know, get games for your computer, uh, would put a mark, uh, you know, a mark on your record so black that, that, um, you know, you're excluded from a lot of jobs in the future, you know, for the rest of your life. So, um, 
So anyway, uh, but you know what? The, the, the boss is still out there and he's still alive. And, um, it's kind of, um, a lot of us that were kids at the time, you know, I think we, we took a lot of risks and did a lot of goofy stuff, um, and got away with a lot of stuff because of our age and because, you know, there weren't, police weren't really, um, knowledgeable about computer crime at that, uh, at that point. So, you know, we got away with a lot of stuff and, um, there were a few unfortunate people that got caught, but, uh, but anyway, so that's the story of the boss BBS. Um, he had a, a good run and, and he got caught doing something bad and it stunk. But, um, but he's still out there and he's a happy guy. And, um, actually we've made arrangements where, um, uh, I'm hoping to have lunch with the boss, uh, sometime next week. And it'll be the first time in, um, 20, 21, 22 years that we've seen each other. So, uh, <laughs> that should be kind of interesting, but, uh, Anyway, that's uh that's the story of Boss BBS and um hopefully I'm going to get things back on track here. I'm always looking for show ideas. Uh so if you have any show ideas, feel free to email them to me. You can always email me directly at robohera@robohera.com. And um if you found the podcast, you know that the podcast has moved to uh www.robohera.com. There are um there's an RSS feed on the right-hand side of the page if you want to subscribe uh to RSS. Um, and also, uh, later this week, I'm going to be setting up a mailing list where, um, if you're old school, you don't like the RSS, uh, feeds, but you want to get emailed when there are podcast updates, then, uh, you can sign up to that mailing list. And, uh, when there are updates, I will email you. So, Hey, you can't beat that. And it's all free. Um, why would you pay for this? That would be terrible. I would give refunds. If you send me money, I will send you money back. That's, <laughs> that's, how, that's how bad this show is. <laughs> so, uh, so there you go. I will double your money back. No, I don't want to do that because people will be sending me money. Um, but uh, so anyway, it is, uh, you know what I should say? Um, uh, because you know what? I'm already over the 30 minute mark. So if you are still listening, then you deserve to be punished. Um, August 9th, uh, coming up, August 9th is OVGE, the Oklahoma Video Game Expo. It takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's taken place every year since 2003, except for last year. So, 03, 04, 05, 06, there was no show last year. This show is going to be last year and this show's show combined. So, it's like two shows, but on one day. So, what a deal for you. Uh, if you want to come out, if you... um. If you're a member of Digital Press, you want to come out, um, Phosphor.Fossils. Uh, there are a lot of moderators and ex-moderators will be there. Um, Phosphor.Fossils will be there. Uh, Icebreaker will be there, the, the um, owner and administrator of uh, Particles.org. I should plug, um, I'm going to plug everybody. Um, Phosphor.Fossils uh, is the owner of TheLogBook.com. That's uh, with the word the, thelogbook.com, which is a great um, sci-fi slash uh, gaming slash all different kinds of uh, cool stuff there. Um, particles.org, which is our icebreaker site, is um, dedicated to retro computers. There's all kind of computer stuff, a great forum there as well. Um, Gaporan, uh, who's a, a buddy of ours from Digital Press, he's going to be there. Um, 
Obaku Morales and Pantechnicon and 98 Pace Car and all the guys that you see on the forums, um, plus Crossbow, who uh, puts on OVGE every year, is going to be there, of course. Uh, so if you want to come out and meet everybody, and um, there's going to be lots of stuff, lots of games to play. And, um, you know, last year I think there were uh, close to 40 vendors, so it's a really, it's a big, it's a really good size show, yet it still kind of has that small show feel, and everybody's approachable. You can come out and, um, uh, like I said, meet people, um, buy, sell stuff, um, you know, anything like that. So uh, if you want to um, come out to OVGE this year, you go to um, OVGE.com and you could get directions and find out more information there. And, um, you know, I'd like to do a show about uh, video game expos, but I, unfortunately I've, I've only been to the OVGE shows and last year I went to CGE, so I'm not really sure, um, you know, if I could put together enough uh stuff about that for for a whole show but i've got some ideas for um uh i might be talking about um arcade games oh and that's another thing i should mention is um uh, i am nearing completion on my second book which is called invading spaces and that will debut at ovge so there's another reason to come out to the show this year i'll be selling autographed copies of that for fifty dollars just kidding. Uh, I think copies will probably be the same as Commodore, and those should be $20. Um, so uh, if you want to, Invading Spaces is about uh, buying, selling, and collecting arcade games. So um, it's a, I, the actual subtitle is a beginner's guide to buying, selling, and collecting arcade games. So uh, if you've ever, you know, wanted, if you're interested in arcade games, but you're not really sure where to begin, um, this book is going to cover the basics of, uh, buying, selling and collecting, oddly enough. Uh, it, it's not really a technical manual per se. It's more of like, um, an instructional guide. It'll give you the basics of, um, you know, where to buy games, things to look for, stuff like that. Um, then of course there's a lot of, uh, goofy arcade you know type stories tossed in there in the middle too so um well i have done it once again i have broken the 30 minute barrier by uh, almost 50 percent we're coming up on 45 minutes so uh, i'm gonna wrap this up i uh, hope you enjoyed this one hopefully we will get back on track starting next month uh I, i'm still i'm gonna try to stick to the first and 15th so um look for a new show on august 1st and that's the end. Boy, what a terrible ending. Um, boy, I got nothing. So uh, tune in on the first, and I will have a new show and hopefully a better ending. Talk to you then.